1: Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to Message Number Three in this series about the mind of Christ. You know, we have an opportunity to see the world the way Jesus saw the world, and we have an opportunity to see God the way Jesus saw and perceived God. Now, we're going we're going to jump straight into this thing for the sake of time because this could be a very very long message. You know, if you want to understand how Jesus thought, and that's really, when it talks about having the mind of Christ, it's talking about understanding how He reasoned, having the reasoning of Christ, or having the logic of Christ, or having the thought patterns of Christ. And so, we have an opportunity to know all of these things. This is not a mystical uh, concept. Uh, there are some very, very practical things to it, and there's some very, very spiritual aspects to this. But remember, we are to constantly renew our mind uh, so that we do actually come to see everything exactly uh, as Jesus saw it. And as I've said to you so many times, renewing our mind is, is as much about uh, about what we think as how we think. And this is just something that that seems to have escaped uh, uh, the body of Christ is that we need to be thinking uh, uh, always consistently with the Word of God, based on the Word of God, but also we need to be able to do that with wisdom, and wisdom always gets into application, and application is always based on understanding the process of something. How is this done? So how did Jesus see God? Because here's, as a matter of fact, let me just show you this. John 17 is one of the most neglected chapters. You know, I, in the early 80s, or excuse me, in the late 80s, I published The Prayer Organizer, which actually had an incredible influence all over America and, and all over the world in teaching people biblical, biblical patterns of prayer. And so, you know, I was in touch with and talking to people all over the country and all over the world about prayer. Now, the amazing thing is, and I've said this many, many times, i said part of this many times, but I'm gonna say something, a different part that I normally don't bring up. You know, first thing is almost everything that we have ever been taught about how to pray, number one, is teaching us how to pray in ways that Jesus told us not to pray and actually taught us very specifically how we should pray about most things. Well, He modeled it the way He ministered to people, he always, he always prayed in a very specific way. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can get my book, Heaven on Earth, uh, or you can get the prayer organizer, and, and man, you, you, you can be following Jesus' model of prayer. But another thing is that uh, Jesus told us some things not to pray about, and he told us what we should be doing instead of praying about those things. But we ignore what he said about prayer, and we ask everybody else, and then we come up with all these religious ways of praying. And then also, Jesus not only told us to avoid praying about certain things, but He told us ways not to pray. And those are the very ways that in most circles, we are taught to pray. We're taught that we're going to be heard by God, by how long we pray, by how loud we pray, by how forceful we pray. Uh, in In other words, it's all about externals. Well, None of that is really what Jesus taught. But what's so very interesting is we have the entire chapter of John, the 17th chapter, is a word-for-word chapter of Jesus praying. What a way to learn how to pray. Now, now, again, there's different types of prayer. And this is more the type of prayer where you get to see the insight into uh, the logic and the wisdom of Jesus, how he prayed, what he prayed, what he talked about with the Father. So I'm not going to spend any more time with that. But in John 17, 6, this scripture just has, has intrigued me. It says, Jesus is speaking to the Father. He's praying. He said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. Now, you just read that, and at first, you can just scoot over that and really go like, well, you know, okay, so was what does that mean? Well, stop and think about it. He says, I manifested your name. Now, to manifest something, means to make it visible. It means to, to reveal it, to make it understandable. So, Jesus' primary goal in earth, his number one goal was to manifest or to accurately reveal the character and the nature of God so that God would no longer be woven into the mystical concept of, of the occult gods most of our concepts about God in the 21st century church are more occult-based than they are biblically-based because we have this idea that you can't understand God, you can't know God, that God is capricious, that God God will, will do things with, with no logical reason and, and that, that the wisdom of God is beyond understanding. Well, well, no, it's not, that's really not what the Bible, there are things about God that, that are beyond understanding, but the Bible has given us everything that we know about God to understand how to live a life exactly what how Jesus lived it. so if Jesus manifested or revealed God to us, if he was able to show us God, then the first thing we need to realize is that he had an accurate perception of God, otherwise the scripture would not be true because the Bible says in Hebrews 1 three which I quote all the time that Jesus was the exact representation of God and then in And the book of John, was it John 1, 12, or 14, right there somewhere, says that Jesus was the Word. He was the the Logos, the logic, the wisdom of God made flesh. In other words, if we want it to see God and want to understand how God thought, understand what God did, why He did what He did, then we always need to be looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus' messages. But honestly, again, most people would prefer to read the Apostle Paul rather than read Jesus. They'd rather read Moses than read, you know, what Jesus taught. Now, every miracle that Jesus did, every sermon He preached, every promise that He ever made uh, was a manifestation of the name of God. And this is really important, the name of God. And so, this verse gives us a hint into the way Jesus developed His perception of God. Now, see, most people cling to this idea that since Jesus uh, was the second person of the Trinity, that he brought everything that he knew about God with him uh, when he was born. Well, if that was the case, then he, when he was a baby laying in that manger, he was faking it. He wasn't really a baby. He had the full knowledge of God. Well, no, he didn't, because the book of uh, Philippians in the second chapter tells us that Jesus emptied himself and became like a man in every way. And Of course, the book of Hebrews and other places talk about how that he was a man in every way, like we are, tempted yet without sin. So, one of the things that we realize is that Jesus, uh, He not only modeled the perfect example of God, who God is, but Jesus also modeled the perfect example of what a human being would look like or how we would function if in fact we absolutely believe the truth about God in our heart. So, so this is this is this incredible if we really want to have the mind of Christ. This is not a mystical thing where somehow or another the mind of Christ just floats into our mind because we're born again. No, our mind is something that we direct and we choose and we we decide what we're going to think about. But I want you to realize here that he manifested his name. Now I think I've already said this in, in previous messages. Well, I know I've said it in previous sermons uh, and series, but 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 remember, we have the life of Jesus to look at and say the only way I can be sure that I'm properly understanding anything in the Bible, whether it's whether it's Old Testament scriptures or whether it's the the epistles, is to always come back and look at Jesus, and I need to uh, interpret everything in the Bible based on what Jesus taught, what Jesus modeled, how Jesus ministered to people, and then ultimately, all of the provisions of the new covenant. And that is where you go to understand all Scripture. You don't throw away the Old Testament. You know, people like, throw away the law, throw away the commandments. You know, we're not under the law, we're not, but we're not under the law. Uh, we are uh, under grace, but but that doesn't mean we have done away with the law. Jesus said we'd we'll never do away with the law, uh, but we have to understand the law the way Jesus taught it, the way Jesus modeled it, and and uh, and the way Jesus manifested it, and the way the way he he treated people. And so, so we have Jesus to look at. But what did people have before they had Jesus? I'll tell you what they had. They had the names of God, and so you know. And I always look first and foremost at the covenant names of God because those names represent uh, commitments that God made with uh, human beings. So He is Jehovah our righteousness. So in other words, our righteousness is always from Him. It's never, never, never from dead works. Even under the old covenant, it was not done. You didn't. You weren't made righteous by works. So He's Jehovah. He's Jehovah our righteousness. He is uh, Jehovah our peace. Well, well, because why? Because. Just like Paul said in Romans five one, once we know that we have righteousness by faith, we have peace with God, and so we have Jehovah righteousness, we have Jehovah our peace, we have Jehovah our sanctification. So we can set ourselves apart into Him and unto Him, and we don't set ourselves apart by uh, by masochism. We don't torment ourselves. We don't you know. We don't starve ourselves. We don't brutalize ourselves. This is. This is not about something carnal that we do in our flesh. It's about something that we do uh, in Him. And so, you know, you go through the Lord, our shepherd. You go through Jehovah Roi, the Lord who always leads us and guides us. So you go through all of these characteristics that are, are defined in the names of God, and you realize, according to Psalm 138 too, that God has exalted His Word and His name above all other things. So anytime I wanted to under if I was a if I was a believer before the new covenant, if I wanted to understand the character and the nature of God, I would go to his names because his names was where uh uh I would find does my theology of how I'm interpreting the word of God does this line up with the name of God. So uh, you know, in Isaiah 52, five through seven, and we actually have talked about this, and I talk about this a lot in the and the audio series that comes along with this, which, by the way, the audio series always has things that are not in the video series. The video series has always has things that are not in the audio series. I do that so that by utilizing both of these series, you can just get a world and a wealth of, of information and knowledge and so that you can take a deeper dive into your connection with God. So you can download the audio series right now, and man, you can you can jump into the deep end of the pool here on this thing. So anyhow, you know, we we discover that from the book of Isaiah chapter 52, and I'm not going to go into a great degree because I am going to go into it a little bit deeper uh, in an upcoming message. But one of the things that we understand Isaiah 52 uh, six, you know, and in these first five verses of Isaiah is going through why do people end up in captivity? Why do people uh, become slaves when they do not have to become slaves and uh, and then Isaiah answers that question in this prophecy and and he says something that's so incredible he says he says those who rule over them now and the in this prophecy he was initially talking about the oppressive nation Godless nations that rule over Israel but even beyond that, the individual leaders in Israel, the religious leaders who rule the people, it says, It says, Those who rule over them make them well, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. And verse six, though it says, Therefore, my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. In other words, behold, it is I am. Now, one translation of this which i just love so very much it, it talks about that a day will come when when they will see him as uh or they will see me as i am the, you know the lord is saying and so on that day that we see him as he is and one of the things that we know is that uh, in that day that's when we start saying uh how lovely on the mountains to the feet of them who bring good news and who publish the gospel of peace. So suddenly we start realizing that the whole reason the nation of Israel was in bondage and the whole reason the church today is in bondage. Now I know most church people say, I'm not in bondage. I, I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah. If, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with depression, if you're, if you're struggling with anger, if you, you know, if you've got a compromised life, then, then you're in bondage you know, to some degree, but uh, but the cure for that is to actually see God as He is. Every problem that exists in Christianity is based on uh, unscriptural perception of God. Now, you, you go on through John 17, and that, you know, actually, in my uh, school of ministry class where I teach the book of John, I go into great detail in this chapter that I just don't have time to go into here, but that's something you can check into. John seventeen eleven, Jesus continues praying. He says, "Holy Father, keep through Your name those whom You have given Me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Your name." So, John seventeen eleven, Jesus says this. He says, "Holy Father, keep through Your name those whom You have given Me, that they may be one." as we are, while I was with them in the world, I kept them through your name. So suddenly, you're you're coming back to this thing of saying, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus came to manifest the name of God, and then he is saying, he's praying for the Father to keep the believers through his name. And then he's saying, as a matter of fact, while I was here in the world with them, I kept them through your name. So, suddenly you start realizing that Jesus, He honored the Word of God, and He did not lift Scriptures out of context to understand who who God was. And and I'm telling you, you can do that, and particularly when you consider in the Old Testament, for example, there are so many, particularly in the English translations, there are so many translations of the old testament that do not honor the name of god they don't even honor the original language of god because almost all of the english translations of the bible all emerged from a religious concept that that wanted to promote the idea that god was that you just had to be afraid of god that that god was always looking to get you and if you didn't do everything right he was going to hurt you and uh and 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 all of that kind of stuff really was designed so that the religious systems of those days would be able to control people and justify, be able to use fear to control people. So this goes right back to this, this prophecy here in Isaiah 52. It says, The leaders make them well and make them mourn. Just like Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, he said, Look, you you load these heavy burdens on the backs of people, and you don't lift, you don't use one finger to lift a burden off of people. God did not come, and Jesus did not come, so we would have more burdens. Jesus came so that the burden could be lifted off of us. So, so, Jesus manifested God. Everything that He did was a manifestation of God or a revealing of God or a making visible the identity of God. And so everything that He did was not only based on the Word of God, but it was based on the Word of God in light of the names of God. So, you know, stop and think about it. There was never one time that that Jesus refused to heal anybody and said, you know what, I'm I'm going to let you suffer some more, and after you suffered enough, I'm going to come back and then I'll talk to you about healing. Then no, now if he had done that one time, you could say, then all right, then then it's possible that it's the will of God, but to use suffering to teach people and to get people to the place where they need to repent. Well, but the problem of that is then. What do you do with the scripture in the book of Romans, second chapter, that says goodness of God that leads people to repentance? It's not, it's not the brutality of God, it's the goodness of God. And then what do you do with the fact that the name of God is Jehovah Rapha, or Jehovah Rapha, people pronounce it different ways, Jehovah Raphika is what it actually is in, in the Hebrew, which means God is the healer, God is not the destroyer. Uh, so, what, what do you do with the names of God when you come up with a doctrine that you have embraced that is in total contradiction of the names of God? Now, I know what most of us do. Most of us just say, well, see, there, there's exceptions. Well, you know what? That, that's kind of weird because Jesus never one time uh, revealed exceptions to the name of God. He never one time did anything that said now this is the name of god but you know what some days god is gonna dress up like an evil villain and he's going to treat people like he's an evil villain so sometimes sometimes you can't really go tell who god's going to be when he shows up no when god said his name was i am and, and i i love the way uh dennis prager uh translates this you know you know prager is, is the head of prager university and. Uh, you know he's not a Christian, but he is a solid Hebrew believer. And even though even though there's so many things that they don't know how to interpret because because they don't realize that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, still they understand the meanings of the words in ways that we never will. They have spent their entire life studying these words and and you know what they actually mean. And so Dennis Prager. You know, when he translates I am, it's like, I am who I am, I am who I was, I am who I will be. You know what why do you think that Jesus, it was said of Jesus that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if you if you believe that scripture, most people say they do, but they don't, they say they do, but then they will say that that you know he does he doesn't always heal, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't always do this. And you say, Well, I know he doesn't always heal because people don't always get healed. Well, remember, there were a lot of people under Jesus' ministry when he walked on earth that did not get healed, but it was always because of their own beliefs. It was never because he chose not to heal anybody. Everybody that came to him with a desire to be healed and would trust him for healing, that they would get healed. And so, so the exceptions to people always getting healed was not because the will of God changed in these situations. If the will of God had changed in these situations, then God would have had to introduce us to a name that was different than the names which he had given us. So you look at this and we we almost believe that Jesus never changes, but God does. Jesus can be pretty predictable, but God isn't. Jesus, you know, so we have these, these ideas where we do not see Jesus and God the Father as one. We have you know I have heard hundreds of people uh, talk about their confusion about you know about Jesus being sweet and kind and merciful and God being hard and mean and judgmental. And when we stand up, and you know those of you that are that are preachers that are listeners, when we stand up and talk about how that the old that the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, you know uh, was about fear, but the New Testament is about love. Well, well, wait a minute. Then you're saying that God changed somewhere between the old and the new. And uh, that that is that is nowhere in scripture. Matter of fact, you know, one of the phrases that we love to use about about God when we're trying to scare people is is about the fear of God, you know, the value of the fear of God. Well, the ancient Hebrews, uh, the word fear, when it talks about the fear of God to start with in the Hebrew language, has to do with an awe. And a respect that inspires uh, love and worship, and so uh, it is not just this horror of what God will do to you. And so, the uh, uh, the the ancient Hebrews, when they talked about the fear of God, they talked to, they were talking about where. Uh, you desire God more than anything you desire. You want him in your life more than anything or anyone that you want in your life. You give yourself over fully to God. And the greatest fear that you have is that you would do anything to destroy the most valuable relationship in your life. That's, that's what they're talking about, about the fear of God. God is so good to you. God is so wonderful. God is so compassionate. God is so merciful. God is so kind that, that the thing that you're going to guard more than anything else is going to be your relationship with god uh that's a far cry from what most 21st century christians mean when they talk about the fear of god they're talking about being afraid that god's going to hurt you and 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 do you know horrible horrible things to you but that, that is just not the case so the reason jesus is the same yesterday today and forever is because God the Father is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. As a matter of fact, the book of James says, look, when you're tempted, and remember that word tempted means tempted, tested, tried, scrutinized, made to strive or made to strain. Anytime, anytime something in your life is making you strive, making you strain, making you uh, 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 feel like you're gonna give might give in to sin, that you might have to compromise, it says, first of all, never, never, never say. That is God, and then he points out the unchangeableness of God uh, later in chapter one of the book of James, where he says that he says, "Look, God is the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." In other words, He's always the God of light; He's never the God of darkness. And in fact, He 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 stands in light in such a way that He never shifts from who He is enough that he could ever cast a shadow. there's not even a, there's not only no darkness in him. there is no shadow because he does not move from his absolute character. So Jesus came and and everything that he taught, everything that he ministered was validated by the names of God. And now since Jesus showed us the perspective from which he was viewing God, we can have the mind of Christ if we know the names of God. Now, I'll just say this to you. I'm not, I'm not trying to put a sale on you because you can get all this stuff up in my videos that are free on impactministries.com. Uh, but but you know, what, repetition is one of the ways that we influence the beliefs of our heart. And so people who use the prayer organizer over a long period of time, because one of the, I think, one of the most powerful things in the prayer organizer is acknowledging the names of God and acknowledging what that looks like from a scriptural basis uh, in our lives in in the new covenant. And so uh, as we establish our heart in the names of God, I'm telling you, we will come to a place where we are immovable in our confidence in God. We are unshakable. We're not going to move from it. You know, I'm not ever going to believe that God makes me sick. I'm not even ever going to believe that God lets me get sick. I let myself get sick. I struggle with my unbelief. I struggle with my issues, and I'm not too proud to admit it. I'm not, I'm not proud I have those issues. But how can I blame an unchangeable God for something, for the, for, for the variations that happen in my walk with Him, for the variations in my ability to experience uh, His promises? So Jesus came, and everything that he did, he did to manifest and to protect us. Just imagine uh, our ability to trust God for protection is directly related to whether or not we know the names of God and whether or not we identify God through those names. You know what? You want to establish your heart in the names of God. You want to establish everything you believe about God. In the names of God, do you want to establish your protection, your faith, your love, everything in the names of God? Listen, be sure and share this with other people. I'll be talking to you again really soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.